The Australian state of Victoria hits a record 484 new COVID-19 cases. This is a wicked enemy. It is so wildly infectious. It moves so fast. It's cunning in some respects where people can be infectious for quite some time and not know it. Victoria Police will be actively, actively enforcing these suburban lockdowns, this stay-at-home order. And if you are out of your home for anything other than a permitted reason, then financial penalties apply, on-the-spot fines apply. I do sincerely hope that it doesn't come to that. We can't afford to ignore the absolute truth of what we face, and that is that this virus is not yet contained. We need to drive these numbers down. We can't ignore it. We've got to put in place a strategy that will be effective, provided that everybody across the state is a part of that strategy. But is the strategy working? Masks are now mandatory in public in Melbourne and the adjacent Mitchellshire as the city grapples with hundreds of new cases every day. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail, how this cunning infection has gripped a population of 5 million and put it into lockdown a second time. My anxiety is just to be able to reassure myself that the situation in Victoria in terms of community transmission is not going to go out of control. We talked to epidemiologist Professor John Matthews from the University of Melbourne about why the city copped it. We were in very parallel situations up until about four weeks ago. Had we gone the extra step, we may have been able to go for elimination and be in the same fortunate situation as New Zealand. For the time being, we've missed the bus. And New Zealander Melina Shamroth on living in lockdown for five months and what it's done for her business. She's the founder of Mad Woman, a social entrepreneur, inspirational speaker and author. Look, every single day we wait for new figures. You know, oh God, what now? You know, we're waiting to hear if we're going to have further lockdown. It looked and sounded like a disaster relief operation as dozens of Defence Force personnel wearing masks and gloves filed across the tarmac at Tullamarine. On July the 9th, the entire city and neighbouring Mitchellshire went into Level 3 lockdown. After touching down on two RAAF transport planes late this afternoon to bolster Victoria's fight against COVID-19. From today, they all have to wear masks in public. And Melina Shamroth says not everybody's happy about it. Well, we've got a very different situation to what New Zealand had in that we've still got shopping centres open. Uh, restaurants have gone back to being able to only offer takeaway. But it's, you know, there's still a lot of people out. People can exercise. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who may not feel the rules necessarily apply to them. There's a lot of pushback from people around um, what they call basic human rights, and which is a really interesting scenario when you're in the middle of a pandemic. We've had another rush on supplies here. You know, we had the whole toilet paper fiasco at the beginning of this whole nightmare where people started hoarding and fighting in supermarkets just trying to get basic supplies. And literally, it took weeks before you were able to even get toilet paper. Well, now that they've announced masks, there's been queues and queues of people trying to buy masks. Face masks are flying off the shelves in Melbourne, residents desperate to stock up. Many stores have simply run out, so buying restrictions have been brought in in some places in Woolworths. Bunnings have introduced buying limits as well. There's been evidence of some price gouging 
People are making masks, but supplies are just being stripped from stores. They were queuing out the front from 8.45 this morning. We've probably gone through a few thousand metres of elastic just to keep up with demand. Even sewing machines have been sold out in a lot of places. It's, it's becoming very, very hard to actually get some of the basics. Um, this time around, probably food is not as critical. People realise they could still get supplies. You went into your second round of lockdown on July. Well, for me, every day is now what they refer to as Blur's Day because I really wouldn't know. I started lockdown in at the beginning of March after I got really, really sick. And for me, it hasn't been the same transition as other people, but it's actually two weeks that there's been the second round of lockdown. What I have noticed is a lot of people are really, really struggling with the second round of it. They had their first taste of freedom, I guess, and having that taken away from them has been really, really a big struggle for mental health for a lot of people. Um, they can't see family and friends. So the mood here is, it's sort of like a, a mild anxiousness about what will happen. You know, a lot of people feel very despondent. Their businesses are really being impacted. I'm feeling a little bit empty at the moment. I think like many of us in this industry, we innovated as much as we could at the start. It's scary. It's nerve-wracking to think, you know, if this is a prolonged thing, like that is make or break for a small business. I thought I could anticipate, but I'm I'm kind of at a bit of a loss now. So I think sort of in a new paradigm of the way consumers will buy, the way consumers will dine. I don't think the landscape of dining will be the same again. And there's kind of no end date, even though there's been, you know, they've said six weeks for this level of restriction. Um, that could go harder any minute and it's potential that, there, you know, it could actually be extended beyond that. And going harder, what does that mean? Look, I think the restrictions would be similar to what New Zealand had when you went um, fully into lockdown level four. Right, so only essential workers allowed We've currently out. got, you know, a range of retail stores open. Um, you can still get takeaway and stuff from restaurants. So nothing's really closed. Um, and for a lot of people, they're acting like nothing has closed and nothing is different. A particular concern for us is these ongoing, the ongoing parties and gatherings. Uh, people playing poker, uh, people holding parties. The reasons for leaving uh, your premises uh, are well known. Um, I can say they don't include playing Pokemon. A couple of mates out in the car travelling around playing Pokemon doesn't fit within those reasons to leave. Melina, you said that you've been in lockdown since the beginning of March. Why is that? So I was really unlucky to actually contract pneumonia at the very beginning of this. And I can tell you that no one wants to get sick at the beginning of a, or at any stage of a pandemic. Um, for the first two or three weeks, I wasn't even able to get um, a test for COVID because they were only testing people who had returned from overseas or had uh, proper contact with somebody known to have, have it. And my symptoms mimicked exactly what COVID was like. And they had to treat me like I had it, but they couldn't actually test me. It took me maybe 10 weeks to get past that pneumonia. And now that I've started getting a little bit sick again, um, I can't get basic tests until I have a negative COVID test. And... You know, even that is scary, even though I knew that there was very little chance I could have it. Um, my symptoms were too similar to be able to risk it. Does that mean that you have been in complete isolation since the beginning of March? For five months. I've gone from somebody who was incredibly busy in my life. I used to go to the supermarket maybe four or five times a week. Um, I was running a 
well, and I still run a charity, but my charity was incredibly busy. I used to travel a lot. I would be on the um, planes left, right, and centre. Um, you know, there's not that long ago that I did maybe a hundred speaking gigs across um, states all over Australia. Um, across a period of maybe 18 months, so I was flying a lot to a person who's literally stuck indoors. In five months, I have been to the doctor twice and to radiology twice and once to see my partner's father for a fleeting visit, and even that was frightening. What is it like to watch what's going on from your home for such a long period of time? It's really, really draining to see, you know, what the hell now, what has happened today. Parts of the media coverage here have been um, a little bit disappointing for me because they've really focused on the negative parts of some of the restrictions happening. When the lockdown happened in um, suburb by suburb here, there were stories about how it was impacting Emma on one side of the fence, but you know Sarah was free to do what she wanted, and you know this business was able to operate on this side of the street, but this one wasn't, and how terrible that was there weren't really enough stories about how terrible it was for people who were immune compromised, who were elderly, who were sick, who were really suffering through this and what the impact of people not being taking their part in a lockdown would have on their lives. What about the leadership? Look, I guess, you know, at the moment there's an inquiry going on as to how the second wave started in Melbourne. And there will be accountability, uh, absolutely. And uh, I'm the leader of the government and I absolutely acknowledge this is unacceptable what has gone on here uh, and that's why I've established the inquiry and that's why the inquiry will do its work at arm's length. It'll be independent, it'll be appropriate, it'll get to the bottom of what's happened. There was an issue around the hotel quarantine. Why we're in this mess in Victoria, of course, is because of our botched hotel quarantine program and the inquiry, day one of the inquiry, heard that every single case of coronavirus in Victoria could possibly be linked back to that program. Where some of the security guards have been alleged to do some pretty terrible things, including potentially have sex with some of the people in quarantine, take them out shopping, take them out for food playing cards with people are all things that have been bandied around. And what that has meant is that the virus has made it from people in quarantine to guards at these hotels and then from there have spread into the community. So that's a pretty big failure in the quarantine system. It's exactly what quarantine was supposed to prevent, but it appears to have been a big seed for clusters of this virus that are now circulating through the community. Some of the guards um, apparently went and drove taxis and Ubers. Now, all of this is obviously speculation until it's proven. There's a lot of blame flying around everywhere. I don't know if that, you know, is around leadership of the state per se. The government hasn't been transparent about the details, but once community transmission started, meatpacking works and the high-rise public uh, housing close to the city were places of recent transmission and over the last week we've had two, three hundred, even four hundred newly diagnosed cases per day, mostly in Melbourne but a few in regional Victoria as well. Here's the epidemiologist Professor John Matthews again. If the stories are correct, some of the security guards, because they were socialising with the travellers who brought the virus in, they then took the virus home or to other 
places of work and by various chains of transmission, there were some hot spots, as I mentioned, in the high-rise public housing in inner western Melbourne and uh, there were also hot spots in some meatpacking plants and they seeded uh, community transmission and most recently we've been concerned because of increasing numbers of transmissions to patients in aged care facilities. But while the quarantine hotel botch-up was going on, something else was happening. More than 10,000 Victorians united and demanding change. Mass but refusing to be silenced. No the demonstrators had been threatened with fines and arrests, all amid the risk of coronavirus. We had uh, Black Lives Matter rallies uh, about uh, four weeks ago. And at the time, there was discussion about whether government should intervene and try and stop the rallies because of the threat of viral spread. But that didn't happen. And I guess a lot of the public felt, well, if the government is going to allow 10,000 people to come together in a rally, why are we bothering with social distancing after all? It it was a, a very mixed message that the public got when that happened. There were two things that contributed. One was that at that stage, it looked like the outbreak in all states in Australia was under control. And the fact the government didn't intervene with the Black Lives Matter rally sort of sent a message to the public that, well, we <laughs> the emergency's over, we can relax. And at least some members of the public would have felt that. So that that was the timing of that was quite unfortunate really. Mm. So that and then combined with the breakouts in quarantine. That's right. And quarantine hotel security and the relaxed attitude fed in and helped to explain the situation Victoria is in at the moment. The cases of the security guards at the quarantine hotels that was the beginning. Did you get a sense that it was... Well, everyone was assuming before that the Australian response had been very parallel to the New Zealand response. Everyone felt things were under control. But, of course, the precautions that were planned initially to control arrivals of virus from overseas, which were to quarantine all arriving passengers... That was right in principle, but the practice broke down and it took everyone by surprise. And the real defect was that the apparently the security guards who were meant to ensure that quarantine was obeyed in the hotels, they weren't properly trained. They didn't understand what they were meant to do. And in fact, they contributed to the spread into the wider community, apparently. Mm. I mean, There's been no specific acknowledgement of this failure by the Victorian government, but it's been widely canvassed in the press. And um, the difficulty is that Australia's got two levels of government, uh, which makes coordination more difficult than in New Zealand, for example. 
But we've also had in Victoria a situation where the public health and medical input into disease control has been at a very relatively junior level and the medical and public health people who got the expertise haven't been at a sufficiently senior level in the Victorian Health Department to ensure things are properly coordinated. And that this is not a criticism of the current Chief Health Officer. He's done a great job, but his job's been more difficult because until this emergency really came to a point, he, he was relatively junior in the Victorian government hierarchy. Of course, the difficulty is the larger the number of new cases, the more difficult is contact tracing. At the moment in Victoria, the number of new cases every day, they've been running at two, three hundred, even four hundred a day over the last week. It makes the contact tracing much more difficult because you need a lot more people to do it. There are a lot more potential contacts and deciding which ones are the important ones and we haven't had enough information released by government to assess the effectiveness of the contact tracing. So I I get the impression from you that you feel that the, the authorities are struggling right now. Inevitably they would struggle because contact tracing and quarantine only works the early part of an outbreak. You look at the UK, by the time they thought about they had a problem, it was too late for contact tracing to come in because there were too many cases, you couldn't work it out, you couldn't catch it in time, the the epidemic had got away. And what's happening in Victoria at the moment is, Melbourne in particular, but Victoria more generally, are we moving towards the situation that was seen in Britain and the US where things had got away beyond where contact tracing could keep it under control with the social distancing and the lockdown? Is it just a matter of time, do you think, before you move to the next level of lockdown? Well, everyone's hoping that... uh, things will come back under control. I mean, and people keep asking, is the current degree of lockdown and social distancing working? And you have to say, well, it must be working in the sense that the numbers aren't going totally out of control. You know, they've been knocking around two to 300 to 400 a day for the last week or 10 days. And if if it were out of control, we'd, we'd be up to a 1,000 cases per day. That hasn't happened. But whether it's going to come down again, no one can totally predict, nor would anyone be confident in predicting what would happen if we went to even more stringent lockdown of the type that New Zealand introduced. We, we never went quite as far as New Zealand in terms of locking businesses down. And it's another four weeks at this level of lockdown. At the moment that's what the government's saying, yes.
So it could continue, I guess, if it's not if it's not brought under well, control. Like again, we always say, let's see what happens uh, by the end of the week or next week. The lack of transparency in Victoria has left people feeling, can we trust this government to do the right thing? It's fair to say that Victoria wasn't as professionally well prepared to deal with this as most of the other states in Australia. They joke about every day being Blur's Day, and I've got to say, I don't even know what day of the week it is some days. Um, It really impacts people. I don't know what businesses will be standing at the end of this. I don't know how long this lockdown will go for. I've heard of people suiciding through this, um, so we don't know the impacts it's having on people around being isolated from others, um, losing everything that they've built over time. You know, will I even have a charity at the end of this? It's it's a real struggle. You know, we haven't got money coming in. Everything is changing day by day, and it changes so rapidly. As I said, you know, masks have gone from being originally told that we shouldn't have them at all, they're not going to help us, to then saying they're highly recommended to suddenly being mandatory. So every day something changes. If you had a message for New Zealanders, we're watching pretty closely what's going on over there, what would you say? Do not get complacent. Whatever you do, just do not get complacent. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to John Matthews and Melina Shamroth. Ka kite anō.